0: Hello, I'm Ian Wealdon, a senior lecturer at Newcastle University and host of the Cultural Peaks podcast. Today's guest is Helen McConnell Simpson, the senior curator of history for Bristol Museums. In our chat, we talk about Helen's roles as an Arts and Humanities Research Council senior awards officer, a social history curator trainee at Herbert Art Gallery and Museum, and as a grants officer at the Heritage Lottery Fund. We also chat about how important Helen has found being a member of the Social History Curators group, particularly in relation to career development and networking. Helen has also undertaken a number of roles at Bristol Museum. She's worked as a curator at Scott House, and then as a museum development officer during the pandemic before taking up her current role at Bristol Museums in 2021. This interview was recorded by Zoom in May, 2023, and is an edited version of a longer conversation. As usual, there are links to the various projects and organizations in the podcast notes, so you can follow up on anything you want to know more about there. Thanks again to Helen for the interview, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for joining me today, Helen. We're remote today. You're Bristol and I'm in Newcastle. Could we just start off by hearing a little bit about what it is that you do? What's your job and what does that look and feel like on a day-to-day basis?
1: Absolutely, yeah. So I am the Senior Curator of History for Bristol Museums, which is a local authority museum service with seven sites, um, two sort of main sites. So my remit covers social history, industrial and maritime history, costume and textiles, oral history, transatlantic traffic of enslaved Africans, and our working exhibits, which are steam trains and cranes and boats. So it's a really big portfolio. And my job essentially is to look after the collections, make them accessible to the public, to use them to inspire people and to engage people in Bristol's history. that's kind of the remit. On a day-to-day basis I would say it's a mixture of working on particular projects which might be an exhibition or a refreshment of a display in the permanent galleries or sometimes a big event that I'd contribute to but tends to be display based. And then some ongoing day-to-day collections management which would be things like renewing loan agreements, dealing with damage to collections that are on display, so getting in touch with our conservators and and following that process through, doing things like creating new labels where something has gone out of date and liaising with the designers to get that in the gallery. There is a degree of answering inquiries from members of the public, academics other museum professionals, students and at the moment one of the things I look after is the statue of Edward Colston and at the moment I have an awful lot of people wanting to come and talk to me about that. I go to a lot of meetings, I deal with a lot of emails, I fail to deal with a lot of emails (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I manage a team of Uh, what was three members of staff but we've unfortunately just had some cuts to our budget and one members of staff has been made redundant so I've now got two so I do some sort of people management and workload management I think that's about it.
0: (laughs) Do you also manage and look after people from collections and similarly on the learning side of that does your role kind of sit somewhere in between those? those two different teams and, and how do you interact with them?
1: So, I'm, um, as I say, I'm in quite a large local authority service and I think the way that those are structured, you know, is different from the way other museums are structured but also varies between them. So we have specific learning staff that I don't really have that much to do with, to be honest, because they have quite a developed programme of workshops which they roll out to schools so we'd only be in the development of a new workshop that i might feed into that What well, we've got conservators who who will deal with the objects if they are damaged or assessing them when something's coming in um, but i know some places have got like a collections manager like we don't have any of that we do all of that within the team we do have some dedicated documentation staff within the museum service but we do most of our own documentation within the team because of the way it's historically worked across the different sites. Because I work at MShed, which is the City History Museum down on the dock in Bristol, and Blaise Museum, which is our more traditional social history museum. And then there is Bristol Museum and Art Gallery, which is the sort of big Victorian institution. And almost everybody else works there. <laughs> and so a lot of the sort of processes that go on in terms of, you know, documentation support, conservators support, it can be tricky to access that when you're at a different site. And I think that's probably, I imagine that applies to, to other places as well. But that's one of the things that I'm going to try and tackle now that we've, particularly with a reduced team, to try and make sure that we're really integrated and, and that we're not trying to do too much ourselves.
0: So you mentioned before um, the Colson statue. So I'm assuming that as a result of of that object now being on display, that that has thrust you somewhat into the limelight as a as a curator. Yeah. What's that process been like?
1: Well, it's a bit of a weird one. So when the statue came down in um, summer 2020, it was brought to the museum service, but I wasn't in post at that point. So I I've been in this role since. August 2021 so the statue was put on temporary display in the museum by some of my colleagues and that crossed over with me being in post and we undertook a big public survey to find out what people wanted us to do with the statue and the very clear instruction that came back was put it on display long term in Mshed and so we took it off display at the end of the temporary display and now I'm Tossed with developing the longer term display um, and yes yeah, so it's been a weird one to come into part way through I would say um, I do a lot of talking to people about our approach which I'm sort of feeling my way on really
0: in, in terms of the, the consultation in terms of that side of it or so the,
1: the the conversations are largely around decolonization as a concept in museums and the issues that have come up with, you know, reactions from the public around the statue around, and the sort of things we're thinking about in putting it on display, yes, including consultation um, and how to go about doing that, how to meaningfully engage with the wider question of transatlantic trafficking, its legacies, including racism, you know, how to... Integrate that story into the story that we're already telling about Bristol, or to reevaluate our approach in light of the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement that happened during the pandemic and following George Floyd's murder was a real moment of reckoning, wasn't it? And and I think there's a real sense of of our needing to respond strongly to that. But obviously, this is a topic which has been live for a long time. You know, it's not as though this is. You know it's it's not new and so there's also a, a case of kind of thinking about our sort of journey as an organization and how we've approached this topic in the past and what we've learned and and where we're trying to move move to right um
0: so you, you mentioned your background in social history so is curatorial work something that you always wanted to do or did you have different ambitions when you were first thinking about potential career paths that you might have taken?
1: I didn't necessarily know enough about the museum sector when I first became interested in it to be able to identify that as, as the role I wanted. Um, I've always been very interested in um democratising of history and sort of sharing of power and so I think sort of community engagement could have been a path I went down but as I did my Masters at Newcastle and learnt more about the different topics I think it became clear that the collections were quite central to my enjoyment and using the collections for engaging with people that that you know I'm, I'm not a real object focused person but I really like to have have them as the kind of starting point for that engagement um I started uh, my career in um I worked in a, a funding organization um so I did an English degree and then I worked in a funding organization one of the research councils um that funds university research um and I got onto the team which worked with history and heritage and had some museums who were applying as as partners with academics and just became really fascinated by what museums did and how practices had changed since I was a kid and that kind of stereotypical idea of of museums. And I'd always had a real interest in history, but I, I didn't think I was clever enough to just be a history academic. So I wanted to be a teacher for a long time. And I sort of think that being a, muse- a curator is sort of, it is a mixture between being a historian and being a teacher and, and uh, yeah, it does sort of fit.
0: It's quite interesting that you say there about not feeling clever enough to be a <laughs> history, like a history lecturer, is that what you Yeah, in? yeah. So is it, was that just a perception that you had that you weren't academically within that ballpark or was it, were you just doing yourself down perhaps unnecessarily?
1: Oh, probably a bit of both. Um, Well, I went to Bristol University, which is, you know, I guess pretty high calibre in terms of the academic level, but I definitely wasn't at the top. So I think that was a feeling of sort of, you know, like, I'd, I'd always done terribly well at school, you right. know, and I got, got great A-levels and got into this really great university. And then it was kind of my first experience of being, right. like, like, middling.
0: Big, <laughs> big fish in a little pond um, to medium-sized fish yeah, in a big pond. Yeah,
1: exactly. And as I say, I did English uh, rather than history as a degree. Um, and that, you know, when I was doing my A-levels, I was sort of choose, trying to choose between English and history. And I looked at a couple of places where you could do joint honours but you couldn't do joint honours at Bristol so, um, so I plumped for English and I think that again I think that really feels like it's relevant to what I do as a curator because it's all about stories you know for me that the, the, the stories of yeah. people are at the absolute heart of what I do and so I think actually it, it was a really good grounding. Um, were,
0: were you just being pragmatic by picking English? You mentioned before the possibility of being a teacher we we did you were you thinking this is likely to lead me in a particular direction, or
1: I mean, I didn't know what I wanted to do at that stage. I don't think I had a job in mind. Right. Um, I just really loved English and I really loved history. And then I think maybe it was a case of just choosing based on the individual. Universities and courses that were available, you know. And as soon as I visited Bristol, I absolutely adored it and really wanted to be in Bristol.
0: So, did you do the job, the AHRC job, after your English degree, but before you did your MA?
1: Yes, yeah. So, graduated, worked as a receptionist and a dentist. That was not fun. And then I got the job at AHRC, and at that time, it was a real entry level job, and basically, you had to have a degree in an arts subject. And it was yeah, it was great. It was lovely, um, but I kind of gradually, as I say, got got really interested in what museums did, and then it was a very pragmatic. So the uh, the research council at that time was based in Bristol, and then the offices were moving to Swindon, and I knew I didn't want to work in Swindon, and so it was kind of a natural break point, and so I. St- Sort of started finding out about museums, and discovered that uh, you, well, uh, sort of felt like you had to do an MA. Um, So we you
0: were seeing jobs at that point where that was an essential because there was a period there where those degrees were essential. It's not not so much now, but
1: it definitely was. Always seemed to be on the criteria. I don't know quite how I started learning about museums in terms of the roots in. Obviously, I worked for the Funding Council, so I knew that you could get a sort of scholarship to do an MA, which which I applied for and, and was lucky enough to receive. Um, so this was 2012 is when I did my MA, so there were only really a few places that were doing the course. Um, so I applied to Leicester and I applied to Newcastle, and I got into both. But when I went to do an orientation-type visit... I felt like the Leicester course was really academically focused, and that the Newcastle course had a lot more focus on practical experience. And I really liked the placement. This it, at that time it was a two month full time on site placement. Um, you know that just seemed like an extraordinary opportunity to get started because I hadn't done any volunteering by this point in any museums. I'd done bits and bobs, I catalogued some feminist play scripts for the theatre collection in Bristol, but I didn't didn't really... Because I was working full-time, you know, yeah, it's, it's really, really hard. hard. There, there wasn't really an opportunity to, to do a load of volunteering and I sort of thought, actually, if I was to do... You know, the things that would be available at the weekend would be, like, front of house at an event or yeah. something and it didn't really feel like that was going to add much... Um, because I knew I wanted to be sort of behind the scenes. And so, yeah, I applied for the MA, I got the funding, moved to Newcastle, and I just loved it. I was just absolutely fascinated. And I was 25, and I think I was really ready to, like absolutely throw myself into it um I worked a lot harder I think than I did during my undergraduate degree just because it was so (laughs) it was so clear-cut everybody
0: says that one I think yeah well I think you're making a sacrifice aren't you as well you know you've you've undergraduate quite often is getting some stuff out of your system and enjoying yourself and then you have a little taste of The wilderness (laughs) that's out there and then think okay I could um if if I'm going to have another go at this this education thing if we're going to be focused with it
1: and I you know understood quite quickly that it was really competitive as a sector um and I think I don't know whether strategic is the right word but I really sort of threw myself into whatever opportunities there might be to improve my chances basically so I did things like joining the Museums Association a month into my MA. I joined the Social History Curators Group, which, as a subject specialist network, which has been, I would say, smartest move I ever made in terms of developing my career, really. And I started volunteering at um, the Discovery Museum with the person that was then the curator of Contemporary Collecting after she, she came and did a lecture and I just thought, what? You can collect contemporary material. This is the best. This is extraordinary. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I went up to her after the lecture and fangirled her. And uh, she let me come and volunteer with her. Um, and I worked on an exhibition that she was doing about weddings and went out to a Pakistani women's group In West Newcastle, and um, got their advice on what to collect, and went to the shops and bought the wedding outfit. And I just thought this is the stuff for me, (laughs) like just. And I still, I, still find contemporary collecting one of the most fascinating bits of my job. It's something I really focus on, and I think just realizing that museums could be about resonances with people's lives today. I think that's the thing that that really draws me you know that people can learn from experiences in the past and use that to enhance their own lives I think that's basically the point for me Um, I was really excited by broadening the range of stories that were represented in the museum and it's something that's at the absolute core of what I believe to be my job as a curator you know to dismantle some of the sort of stereotypical ways that museums have functioned in the past and yeah. to to share a wider range of stories um, and to welcome a wider range of people
0: so what happened at the end of the MA when you when you came to the end of MA what what did you do next
1: well I was lucky in as much as because I'd been working before I went to the MA I had saved up enough money to pay for the MA and then I got the scholarship. Um, which meant that I had enough money to not have to immediately go and get any any job. So I carried on volunteering at Discovery Museum and living in a house share in Fenham, and I applied for every job. <laughs> I just got. I just applied for absolutely every entry level job and I didn't get any of them <laughs> it just was soul destroying i think it wow. took a, it was about 6 months of really plugging away and the volunteering really helped because you know it was it was partly it was feeding into the sort of long term plan and partly it was it was nice to be experiencing something that allowed me to think yeah this is what i want to do um although i had done i'd done a 2 month placement at york castle museum and i'd done as I say, some, you know, relatively long term volunteering on a sort of weekly basis with the, in, a, in a curatorial department. I guess I, maybe I just didn't have enough practical experience or maybe the stakes were just really high. It felt like it was so competitive at that time. I don't know whether it. I imagine it still is or worse. And yeah, I just, just couldn't get anything. And then I was i uh, very, very fortunate. I applied for a traineeship, a, cura- a social history curatorial traineeship, which was funded by Heritage Lottery Fund, I think, at that point. Uh, and I got that. And that that was the thing that made the difference between not being able to get an interview and basically getting an interview for every job I applied for after the traineeship. And I didn't get every job, obviously, but that, that was the major, major difference. Um, so you think
0: that was enough to get your cv and and i
1: think it was more that i so i i obviously gained it so it was a year long uh it was it had a bursary which was about thirteen thousand pounds which didn't really cover the rent but um i was in coventry at the herbert uh, museum so i got loads of experience because i was doing you know um bits of collections work bits of documentation um you know it was all pretty entry-level job I would say but I also had the support of a really wonderful curator Ali Wells who was was at the Herbert at the time and she was unfailingly supportive and and you know put me into everything I could possibly gain experience in that year you know I threw myself into it and she really supported me to gain as much as I could and I also as part of that traineeship um they paid for me to do the AMA, the Association of the Museums Association. And through that, I got a mentor, Steph Mastoris, who is the head of um, the National Waterfront Museum in Swansea. And he's like the grandfather of social history in museums. <laughs> and, um, and that mentor relationship was absolutely crucial. Um, he, you know, really supported me, really challenged me, helped me to think through what I wanted to do helped me to identify the skills gaps and Alia as well helped me to work out how to write job applications which nobody seems to tell you and Steph did like a mock interview with me and said I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, employ you if your object identification skills don't get any better and that kind of stuff which you know real pointers to kind of what to do to improve. I think learning how to write good application statements was massive So what I still do uh, was to keep a list of everything that I was doing in terms of experience um, under the headings of things which came up in person specs a lot. So things like problem solving, communication skills, collections management experience, that sort of stuff. And then when I wrote an application, I'd I'd literally look at the person spec and use that as headings and then pull across key examples from my experience and put them under these headings. And that's my application. And then a little paragraph saying why you want the job and why you'd be brilliant at it. And that's the formula I've followed ever since. And as I say, it it was transformative. Like I I have tended to get more interviews than not using that method. And I think that really, really helped. And then I did quite a lot of interviews and didn't get them. Uh, (laughs) And then... And then I did an interview at Cardiff Story, uh, as it was then, and the curator there was somebody that I knew from Social History Curators Group. So as I say, I joined that a month into my MA, and then I applied to be on the committee, because it's entirely volunteer run, and the committee were all sort of early career professionals finding their way, and I was on the committee for eight years, and I was chair eventually, um, and that was my kind of real formative network of, of people across the sector. And I would go to the conference and meet the people who were, you know, further, further up the profession. And that has been really critical in getting to know people. And so um, Victoria at, at Cardiff Story, I knew from SHCG. And so when I failed the interview, I think because she knew me, she was willing to sit down with me for an hour and tell me precisely where I'd gone wrong and what I needed to improve and her taking the time to do that was again transformative yeah and I got the next job that I applied for which was in Bristol
0: so that network's really important but both the really important and the mentoring is yeah you know a combination of that stuff at the Herbert mentoring AMA a real insight for someone to sit down and and explain because otherwise you speculate don't you what did I do wrong and then you have to try it again and see whether yeah, your definitely. analysis of that was correct or whether your analysis was and then there are other so many of the variables aren't there in there that yeah. you know about whether somebody just had more experience or there was an internal yeah. candidate or whatever it is that's
1: yeah but in t- in terms of the things that you can control the things that you can improve yeah it was so helpful to have people who took the time to tell me and you know i'm sure she would have given me some feedback if i'd rung up and she didn't know me but I think she was more willing to sit down and take the time because we had a a pre-existing relationship. Because
0: you're part of that social history curators group.
1: Yeah, and as is Steph Mastoris, so that that was a kind of a way in. And and also it's been a real important support mechanism over the years, you know, in, in terms of as I've gone to different periods of my life and different sort of stages of my career, the people that I know there have been able to have really valuable sort of peer-to-peer conversations with around, you know, the challenges that then face us as we get older and move further up the sector and, and the sort of options open to us. and
0: So you, you moved back to Bristol then?
1: Yeah, so that was always the plan.
0: Ah, well, that was the question <laughs> I was going to ask. Was that an intended... You said you really loved Bristol, so were you looking out for things?
1: I'd have gone anywhere. I'd have gone anywhere. You know, I was applying all over. I don't think I could have afforded to go to London, but I was applying, you know, anywhere that there was a job. yeah but I was just super fortunate that the one in Bristol came up and it was a short-term contract covering assistant curator of social history. And, you know, like definitely fortunate that it came up, but I think also my passion for the city and my, you know, previous knowledge of the city probably helped in terms of being a good fit for the job. Yeah. And so I did that for a year, which was, which was brilliant. And then my manager went on maternity leave and I managed to claw my way into her maternity cover. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> so what, what what kind of work were you doing there? W- was there a particular theme to the work that you were doing or specialism or was it, again, quite g- general?
1: Yeah, really general, I would say. Um, previous structure at Bristol, there was the Industrial and Maritime History Department and there was the Social History Department. And they've since merged into history, which is what I'm now in. But so at that time, social history covered, you know, costume and textiles, domestic history, community life, working life a bit. Um, And uh, it was largely based at Blaze, which is our, um, it was a social history museum that opened in the 50s. Um, Lots of sort of documentation, putting together little displays at Blaze, supporting family events dealing with the backlog because we've got a massive backlog of undigitized uh collections
0: and then when you you covered the maternity post was that just a a managerial version of that work where you were looking after more people
1: well it would have been except that they didn't backfill my post so i i had been the assistant curator (laughs) yes so i did both
0: someone got quite a good deal there didn't they
1: yes (laughs) yeah well i think i did too really um And I used to put acting senior acting curator on my emails.
0: Right. Well, I mean, those those things are they're they're important. I mean, that must have been important for you to have mentioned it. You know, that must have been quite a big thing to have. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Definitely. Added that in. Um, Well, and you know what it meant was that rather than being managed by someone else within the subject specialist department i was the subject specialist department so it it definitely felt like a step up you know and yeah yeah it was great i really enjoyed that and i worked on a really wonderful exhibition about um bristol during the first world war because this was during the centenary of the end of the first world war and that was fascinating and my first experience of working on a really big exhibition temporary exhibition and I was working with a really experienced, long standing curator. You know, I learned an awful lot from her. Did loads of loans to go into the um, exhibition, did, you know, public call outs, finding stories, research, and that was all absolutely brilliant. Uh, really enjoyed it. And then I did another couple of short term contracts at assistant curator level at Bristol to kind of cover bits and pieces of work and that's the other thing you know I think once you've got your foot in the door my experience has been that people are, are creative in finding ways to keep you which I really appreciated there was a the, the head of collections and archives at that time at, at Bristol was very yeah. instrumental in supporting me and also in you know finding finding ways to keep me on the books which was brilliant but then I threw a curveball in and I wanted to have a baby. And <laughs> if, you, if you have a baby when you are on a short term contract, you don't have a job to go back to and you don't get maternity pay. So I hung on for ages. I say ages, probably, you know, a year trying to get a permanent job. But by that point, you know, I'd got married. My husband was working in Bristol, so we, we didn't feel able to relocate very readily because he was at the start of his career as well you know, and he had just managed to sort of claw into his first job. And, you know, so it wasn't a case of, you know, him being able to easily up sticks. And as I say, I wanted to have a kid. Um, And so in the end, I just decided to prioritise having the baby. And I left at the end of a short term contract with nothing to go back to. I got maternity allowance, which is about 10 pounds a week it's not it's not but it's really not very much money um it's a real
0: issue isn't it for people of a certain age where more often than not the contracts that are offered are fixed term whether it's one year or 18 months off of the duration of a of a a project and it you know it leaves you completely in in limbo Um, doesn't it that kind of huge it's a real problem
1: yeah um we wanted to buy a house, and we couldn't buy a house because I was on short-term contracts. And as I said, it was mainly about the maternity, partly the maternity pay to make it financially viable, yeah. but also really importantly about having something to go back to, Security. Um, because I knew that I didn't want to give up work. And the idea of job hunting with a nine-month-old baby was, you know, really unappealing and was not pleasant. <laughs> I- I'll say. <laughs> um, I think uh, you know my career is really important to me but there are points in your life I think where you have to make a decision about what's what's your priority and and I knew that that wasn't something I could compromise on so we just went for it and 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 you know I I I left that job with the understanding that I might never get another museum job um because it might be too difficult to get back in um you know which which was really hard
0: did you always intend to return to the sector in your, in your head at that point? Were you thinking, you know, yeah. have a baby and then once things settle down or we'll try and go back into the sector? Yeah, or Obviously definitely. the unknowns around whether that might be possible, having yeah. left a job.
1: Yeah, my hope was always to get a permanent contract as a curator and then I could, yeah. you know, go off and return to leave and come back. And, you know, in the long term, with hindsight... I think I can see that it was actually beneficial that I didn't do that because what it meant was I did I did get a job when the baby was nine months old and I, I got another short-term contract as an assistant curator at um, STEAM in uh, Swindon, which is the GWR Museum.
0: So you, you ended up working in Swindon after all. In
1: Swindon anyway, <laughs> quite, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that one was, you know, a level... Down from the post that I'd covered as a maternity leave, so it felt like a little bit of a step down. Right. It was um, very focused on industrial history and, and at the time I was much more, you know, social. So it felt like a bit of a sidestep. And it was in Swindon and it had a commute and it wasn't a great deal of money. And so it was definitely like a really pragmatic choice in terms of, I need a job, it's in the museum sector, I won't have to move house. And also you know, I just had my first baby and I needed something that wasn't, I wasn't ready for like a big step up challenge at that point.
0: Yeah, the right, it it was, was the right thing was, at the right yeah.
1: time. Yeah, and, um, and I really enjoyed it. Um, and yeah, so that sort of tied me over for about a year, a bit more. And then a job came up on another project at Slimbridge, which is a, a wetlands centre in Gloucestershire. So again, there was a commute. It wasn't in a museum, and it was a bit of a step into the unknown, really. So this was an HLF-funded project for three years to set up a new museum, um, a historic house museum, in the home of the founder of the trust, um, Sir Peter Scott. And I'd never worked in a historic house. I would be the only museum professional on the staff. It wasn't strictly curatorial. So it was a real kind of left-field move, But it was a decent length of contract, it was decent money and it was really interesting and what it did was allow me to fill in a load of gaps that I don't think I'd have done if I was in a straight curatorial job in a bigger museum because one of the problems I've seen is that if you work in an assistant curator job, you don't necessarily gain the skills you need to be a curator these days. So things like project management, budget management, people management, you can't actually gain those skills. In the, in the job below that you need for the job above. And that it really gave me those wider sk- opportunities to gain those wider skills that I then was able to bring back to the curator job at the next level up.
0: That sounds really interesting as a, as a job. So was that driven by necessity, and the, lo- the slightly longer contract as opposed to this is a, a, a change in direction or were you just kind of taking what was available at the time?
1: A bit of all of those... Yeah,
0: I'm probably oversimplifying that and unfairly. No,
1: I mean the the longer contract was important. The what was available definitely played into it. You know, in t- particularly in terms of geographically, but also I was really excited by the opportunity because I think I was ready to go out on my own in terms of having more responsibility. Being the only prof- museum professional meant in that role was I got to make the decisions about what the displays look like in the house, what the content of the tour should be, um, what conservation decisions we should make about the floor. And I've been very lucky. I lucked out because my manager there had previously been at the National Trust and so she had loads of historic house experience, which was great because I really didn't. (laughs) So she was able to plug some of the gaps in my knowledge and also to bounce ideas off and that's that's the thing I'd learned there was that I don't actually want to be the only one because having those conversations and developing my ideas through conversation was really important to me. Right. And again another another really great supportive manager who helped me learn a lot about historic houses and and the different ways that curation looks different in a in a historic house museum. But I mean, it was fascinating. You know, it was a 1950s house, and I had the whole of the, like, family archive, and I got to meet, you know, the uh, children of, um, Sir Peter Scott who'd grown up in the house, and it was, it was really different, but it was, it was fascinating.
0: So you said you said you had a, a second child around that time.
1: I did, yeah. So I. Given that it was a three-year contract, I decided I could squeeze the maternity leave into the middle. So I had, <laughs> I, I did a year, <laughs> did a year, then had a nine months off, then went back. I had just less than a year left on the contract, and the museum was just about to open, and then a job came—a permanent job. My God, came up in Gloucestershire to be a museum development officer, and again, it wasn't curatorial at all. But I decided uh, this was this was you know, one of my more strategic decisions, I decided that I needed to diversify my knowledge and experience in order to have those higher level skills and knowledge to go into a, a more senior curatorial job. The MDO job was challenging, partly because COVID hit, and so I was doing a job where normally you would travel around the county meeting professionals and and visiting all the museums and that's a really nice part of the job and i didn't didn't get to visit a single museum in the year that i was doing the job
0: (laughs) all done by yeah so i was
1: trying to build relationships with all these volunteer-run museums by zoom and it was it was really challenging really challenging um but fascinating and again worked with really great colleagues learned an awful lot about accreditation and fundraising and volunteer management and like loads of stuff that I hadn't really had to do before and I quite liked giving advice to people that then had to go and do the work <laughs> that was quite pleasant
0: Oh, you're sounding like a manager more and more now. <laughs>
1: um well and also by this point because I had two kids some of it was about what could you do part time, you know, yeah. so, so a lot of it has been pretty practical or at least had practical considerations along. It hasn't always been a sort of free choice as to precisely what I want to do. Yeah. yeah. And I did the MDO job for a year. And as I say, it was a permanent contract. And I was thrilled to have a permanent contract. The first time since I'd moved into museums, that I'd had one. Um, and I thought I was going to be there for years and really develop it.
0: So, so you're really thinking about potential management roles at this point but by then?
1: Yeah, I have been fairly strategic in as much as um, I had always kept in touch with Bristol Museums, um, and they changed the structure so that there was only one senior curator of history. And I basically had my eye on that job for years. Um, and uh, of all the museums within the geographical area that I could get to, it was it's the one that... I really, really want to work for. Um, like I, I literally would look at the person spec for this role and think, like, what have I got? What haven't I got? How do I how do I gain these skills? But I guess when it did come up, I was then pretty poised and ready to go. Do
0: you think, would you have gone for a job, an equivalent job like yeah. that elsewhere? so I think that
1: was the reason it didn't feel like too silly a thing to do was because, you know, curatorial posts across the sector have relatively similar requirements, um yeah so essentially what I was doing was sort of training myself to be a more senior level curator it's just that I you know had identified a place that I wanted to do that I guess I was restricted in terms of where else because of all the practical stuff I've talked about with having you know my husband and my children being quite set in in where we were yeah but yes I was still looking at other jobs you know I was looking at the Leicester Museum's job desk every week for years you know I, I was always kind of aware of what was coming up what might be available yeah, yeah and when I went for the interview for my current job I did think like you know if I don't get this job I'm gonna have to have a genuine rethink about the direction of my career because I had literally been you know aiming for the job for for years and 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 a. There'd have there'd have been a sort of mourning period, you know, if I Planning hadn't got it, it in terms yeah. of like, if this this approach hasn't worked, what do I do next? And I don't think I'd have yeah, yeah. left the sector, but I think I'd have needed to yeah. rethink and expand and um
0: That takes us to where where we are now. So what does the future look like? What what things are you working on moving forward?
1: So my plan really is to develop as a curator at a higher level because the problem I've found with the short-term contracts and I think they were they were kind of good at the beginning of my career because as I say I was kind of gaining experience and skills in in quite a wide um, spectrum of things but what I really want to do now is to get better at being a curator and I think in order to do that you have to have some time in one place with one collection that's my feeling right. and so What I would really like to do is have a a decent spell of time in Bristol to get to know the collection, have the experiences of working on a couple of big exhibitions, learn more about people management, because I'm doing that for the first time, and that's a new challenge for me. Think about my practice, continue with the sort of networking to develop ideas about what sort of curator I want to be. Yeah, I really feel like it's a kind of deepening and and improving of those skills. I feel like I was working really hard to get here and now I want to bed in and gain the things that I have been hoping that this job will allow me to achieve.
0: Thank you very much for your time today. It's brilliant to chat and it's really interesting to hear your journey and and the complexities of of decision making around starting a family and trying to balance that with different types of contracts within the the museum sector but thank you for your time I really appreciate it.
1: You're really welcome
0: Thanks for listening to the podcast. Don't forget you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud and Facebook using the handle Cultural Peeps. And if you want a bit more information about the Careers Pathway project, or about any of the conversations or participants, then there's a project blog, which is available at culturalpeeps.wordpress.com.